Thanks for joining us as we explore the good news of Jesus and his kingdom in the Gospel of Mark. For discussion guides and details about how to join us on Sundays, please visit fairoaks.org. Well, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Yeah, awesome. I'm doing awesome, too. Uh, I am solar-powered, so I am ready to rock today. Uh, If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Mark chapter 1. If you are new with us, uh, what we do here is we open the Bible each week uh, to learn about Jesus, because we believe that in a world full of bad news, uh, we come here just hungry for good news. Amen? And so that's what we're going to be doing today, Mark chapter 1, and let me set it up for you this way. Um, Several years ago, there was a TV show called A Day in the Life. Um, Has anybody seen the show? That explains why it only got two seasons. Uh, Either that or you're liars. Uh, A Day in the Life was a reality TV show, uh, and it was a fascinating concept. What they would do is they got a film crew that would follow around um, a famous person for 24 hours to give you insight into what a day in their life is like. So if you want to know what your favorite celebrity, what what is their real life like when the cameras go off? A Day in the Life would follow them around as they go home, um, as they're playing, as they're um, at work, and you would get to see kind of a, a whole orbed view of what a day in their life is like, what they are really like. You got to kind of be their friend for a day. Now, I think the problem with the show is they never got anyone famous enough that anyone cared to watch about. Um, But we have something uh, just like that today in the Gospel of Mark today uh, with the most famous person in the history of the world, and that is Jesus Christ. Uh, What Mark gives us today uh, is a 24-hour snapshot in the life of Jesus. We're going to look at several events um, that take place over the course of a single day. And what Mark's kind of given us at the start of his biography of Jesus's life here is, hey, here's what a day in the life of Jesus is like. If you want to know what Jesus is like, tune in, circle up, and let's look at a day in the life of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. We're going to get to know Jesus a little bit better as we look at a day in the life of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Are you ready? All right, Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21, it says this, They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions and shouted with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they began to ask each other, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. And at once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Um, So right out of the gates, we see that Jesus's life is an interesting life. Uh, Whatever you think of Jesus, just coming to these stories, he lived an action-packed life. And um, Mark picks it up on an average day with Jesus. And the first scene tells us about Jesus at church. That's basically what the synagogue was. In the first century, the synagogue was the place in the community that the people of God would gather together for worship, would gather together to hear from God's word, much like what we're doing right now. 
Um, and as a respected rabbi, uh, Jesus would have been invited to teach when he showed up at the synagogue. And, and that's exactly what he does. He enters into the synagogue, he's invited to teach, and so he begins to teach them. Now, um, Mark doesn't tell us the content of Jesus' teaching, but I apologize, it's a better sermon than you're going to hear today. Uh, Jesus is the best teacher, the best preacher ever, um, and we're, everyone that follows in his wake, we're just trying to point to that guy and say, look at what he said, look at what he's done. We don't have the full detail of the sermon, otherwise I'd just give that to you right now. Um, but Mark did tell us uh, in week one of this series a summary of Jesus' preaching ministry. Uh, Mark 1.15, he said the summary of what Jesus was preaching as he went around is the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the good news. So um, he is teaching about this in some way. And uh, the, the people in the synagogue, they are loving it. They are um, amazed by it. Mark says they're amazed because his teaching is not like that of the scribes. Uh, the scribes were the religious leaders, kind of the professional religious class. They've been to seminary. They have more degrees than a thermometer. They kind of know what to ta they're talking about. They know the original languages. Um, but at this point in time, the, the messages of the scribes, and we have record of these, they would essentially be filled um, with do more and try harder. Uh, the prevailing belief amongst God's people at this point in history um, is God has let us remain in exile because we were disobedient. And if we could just clean ourselves up, then God will have to return to us. Just like Isaiah said, God would someday come back to be with his people. And so the scribes, you'd come to church and they'd be like, try harder, be better, tithe more, give more, be more forgiving, be more loving, stop doing that, start doing that. And it would be all of this clean yourself up talk. And Jesus walks into the synagogue and he starts preaching good news. And he says, no, uh, you may have heard it said you need to clean yourself up, but truly I say to you, good news, God has come to you before you could ever clean yourself up. That's the essence of Jesus's message. The kingdom of heaven has come to you. And so your job, you do all the sinning. I do all of the saving. You repent of your sin. You believe what I've done. This is the good news. So he comes in and the people, they love it. They've never heard anything like this. Maybe you've had that experience where for the longest time you thought Jesus just wanted you to be better. And then at some point, the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the message of Jesus that is one of grace that says, no, come to me. I'll save you. I'll make you better. I'll change you just like we saw last week. That's what's going on here is Jesus comes in and they love this new teaching. They're amazed by it. It's like, it's like relief to their weary souls. And right at this moment, as Jesus is preaching and teaching in the synagogue, uh, you have a man come forward with an unclean spirit who starts crying out. Uh, now, what an unclean spirit is, is a demon. That's going to become very clear throughout the Gospel of Mark. Um, and I, I just want to say right on the outset, I know we're modern people, and so we have a hard time with the concept of the unseen realm and demonic powers. Um, but I'll just tell you, the authors of the Bible, they had no such superstitions. Um, they weren't uh, kind of burdened by their culture of their day. They understood that there was intelligent evil at work in the world. 
And a lot of people, modern people will approach this text and go, oh, it wasn't really a demon. You know, maybe they just had some emotional issues. Maybe they just needed counseling. Uh, Maybe they were just sick in some way. Um, But Mark's going to show us, no, Jesus actually addresses the demonic realm and physical, chemical brokenness in the gospel. And so um, the worldview of the Bible, it's much more well-rounded than our modern worldview today. It says, yes, there's physical brokenness, there's physical problems, um, but there's also intelligent evil at work in the world. And according to the Bible, um, when the Messiah comes, he's going to deal with both. He's going to deal with intelligent evil. He's going to deal with the physical brokenness that has resulted from our sin by dealing with our sin at its source and bringing new life to everything that's broken in the cosmos. So this guy um, with an unclean spirit starts crying out because here's the thing. The demonic realm doesn't like that Jesus is there preaching good news. He says, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Um, It's kind of like he's saying like, hey, this is our realm. Things are messed up down here. People are sinners. They belong to us. They're part of the kingdom of darkness and you're a part of the kingdom of life. I'm not sure what you're doing in here. Uh, You belong in heaven. We belong down here. The earth is ours. And Jesus's response to him is shut up and come out of that man and leave him alone. And I want you to notice, there's no argument. Like modern movies with exorcism, there's always like a fight. Jesus, he doesn't argue with them. And the demon even says like, are you here to destroy us? Like there's no power struggle. He's just like, shut up, come out of them, and out the demon comes. And at this point, the people who were already amazed by the content of Jesus's teaching, by the grace of his words, they are floored by what they're seeing. Because um, they say, It's not only a new teaching, it's a new teaching with authority. In other words, um, there have been plenty of crazy people in history. We have seen some in our day. There were many in the first century who claimed uh, to be God's messenger, who claimed to be bringing about God's kingdom in the world, claimed to kind of have the answer to everything that's broken. Plenty of crazy people have claimed that. Um, But what this exorcism shows at the outset of Mark's gospel is Jesus isn't one of those crazies that Jesus has the authority to claim what he's saying. He's coming saying, God's kingdom is coming near to you. I'm entering this world to make it new. And that's a bold claim. And then he backs it up by casting out this demon. In other words, God's kingdom has come among you. The demons are fleeing. And the people in the synagogue, their takeaway is, oh my goodness, his message seems to be too good to be true. But the demons respond to him as if it is true. What is happening here? Um, So the fame of Jesus begins to spread. And by the way, authority is going to be a huge theme for this whole first chunk of Mark. You're going to hear this again and again and again. Mark wants to establish out of the gates, Jesus isn't crazy. He really does have the authority to say the things that he is saying. And the first way he demonstrates that is by casting out this demon and showing God's kingdom is among you. The kingdom of darkness is on the retreat. And that's just the first scene we have before us today. So um, if you're thinking back to a day in the life, the camera's seen Jesus at church. This is the Jesus kind of a lot of people maybe know. And now what's going to happen is the camera is going to swing to Jesus in private. It goes from Jesus in public to Jesus in private. And we're going to see Jesus at home with his friends. And, and so that's the transition. So imagine the transition music picking up here. You're seeing a car drive and we're moving scenes. And now we're going to pick it up in that same day with Jesus going home to be with his disciples that he called last week. Verse 29. 
As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, and he took her by the hand, and he raised her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, the sun had set, and they had brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases, and he drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So um, here we get Jesus at home, and it's a lot of the same of what we saw of Jesus at church. Uh, what Mark's kind of shown us right up front is some people, they live a very duplicitous life. They live one life in public and another life in private. Um, but Jesus, he doesn't. He's the real deal. The same Jesus you get at church is the same Jesus you get in private. Uh, Jesus heads into his friend's house, into the house of these disciples he called last week. And um, when they get there, um, it says that Peter's mother-in-law is sick. And so Peter, uh, he starts talking about, to Jesus about his mother-in-law. Now, some of you, you're talking to Jesus about your mother-in-law right now. This isn't like that. He's not complaining to Jesus about his mother-in-law. Uh, what he's doing is he's coming to Jesus and saying, hey, my mother-in-law, she is sick. Is there something that you can do for her? Um, now, um, one of the things we're going to have to fight as we go through the Gospel of Mark, if you've been around church for any amount of time, if we just heard these stories so many times, the things that should strike us as curious don't strike us as curious. So let me just slow down and ask a question we should all be asking. What makes Peter think that Jesus can physically heal this woman? Um, see, we think because we've read the book, we kind of know where it's ending. We know like, oh yeah, Jesus is a great healer. Of course, Peter would ask him to heal her. But you have to remember where we are in the story. We're chapter one. Jesus has just called his first disciples. They've heard him preaching. They have seen him cast out a demon. Um, but Mark makes it very clear that casting out demons and physically healing people are two separate things. And so Peter, what he asked Jesus is actually, I think, fairly remarkable that he would say, Jesus, can you heal my mother-in-law? I, I love this man, Peter. We're going to see he's one of the first to believe. He's going to be the first to confess Jesus is the Messiah in chapter eight. He's also going to be the first to make a lot of mistakes. He's kind of a ready fire aim guy. He's my kind of guy. Um, and here he is. He gets it right. He, he says, Jesus, can you heal my mother-in-law? And the question we should be asking is where, where would he get an idea like this? Um, and the answer is, uh, the Old Testament, the, the Bible uh, that Peter and Jesus and his disciples would have had um, is filled with this expectation that Jesus or the Messiah when he comes would not only deal with intelligent evil with the demonic realm, but he would also deal with physical illnesses. Um, I've got some scripture reference in your worship guide. It's Isaiah chapter 35 talks about when God's kingdom comes, physical illness will be on the retreat. Physical illness will be removed from the world and those that were impaired will find wholeness and healing when God's kingdom comes to earth. And so Peter, I think he takes Jesus very seriously. He hears, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. He sees that Jesus is preaching with a type of authority that even the demons obey. And so he goes to Jesus and says, okay, I'm gonna take you up on it. You said the kingdom of God is at hand. If I understand my Bible, that means you can heal my mother-in-law, right? And so Jesus goes to her room and... He grabs her by the hand, and when he lifts her from the bed, everything the prophets foretold happened. 
that the second he touches her and lifts her, the fever flees from her body. Um, And again, we hear this as modern people. Um, You need to hear this as a first century person would. A fever would have been a very dangerous condition. She could have died by all indications. It sure seems like Peter thought she was on her deathbed. And Jesus walks in there with death at her door and he grabs her by the hand and he picks her up and he says, not today. And the illness, whatever it was causing it, flees from her body. And so what we're seeing here is not only does uh, the demonic realm flee at the presence and the command of Jesus, but physical illness flees from the presence of Jesus. Everything is submitting to him. And apparently word gets out about this because Mark tells us, um, yeah, and then after the sun went down, the whole town came out. And you would too, right? If you heard this, like, oh, there's someone in town that's healing people, that's casting out demons. Like, okay, yes, please. I'm going to get over there. I'm going to get over there. I'm going to get in on that. Um, that's, that's the kind of thing going on here is the whole town comes out and they assemble and they're bringing to them two categories of people. Those who are sick with various diseases, meaning Jesus can heal all types of diseases. Um, and then they bring those who are demonically oppressed and they bring them to Jesus. And he spends, this is how Jesus spends his night. He spends it serving and healing and helping people. And um, I think there's this refrain throughout our text today where Mark's like, and then his fame spread, and then his fame spread, and then his fame spread. And I think what we're meant to take away from this is the whole town comes out for a reason. Um, The whole town comes out because they hear that God's kingdom is showing up in Galilee. And I I would submit to you that that is uh, the purpose behind Jesus's miracles. Um, Because look, these are just the first of several miracles of Jesus that we're going to see throughout the gospel of Mark. This is a major um, theme. This is a major part of his life um, that Jesus did these wonderful works that would amaze people and make people go, wow. Um, And so I want to chat kind of about miracles um, as we're seeing the first ones today. So we've got a lens as we go through the gospel of Mark, because I know that is um, modern people. We live in a day and age that is just so bought into the idea of modernity that um, like ultimate reality is determined by your five senses, which is kind of ironic because our five senses lie to us all the time. The scientific consensus is constantly changing, but we buy into a day and age that says, okay, um, there's nothing in the unseen realm. There's only what I can measure by science. And for better or for worse, this is the day and age we live. I I could critique some of the uh, flaws in this worldview, but there's a lot of really good things that have come from this worldview as well. Um, This is the day and age in which we live. And so I simply want to note this because I think as modern people, we have absolutely no category for miracles. And so we come to a text like this, what we, I I think we do is we see what Jesus is doing is a disruption of the natural operation of the universe. And so um, if you're not a Christian, you see disruption of the natural universe and you think that can't happen. Um, If you're a Christian, you, you might say, okay, well, of course I believe that Jesus did this, but it's basically just a magic trick to prove his deity. And it doesn't have kind of any ongoing significance for us today. I think we have a lot of baggage, really, regardless of your background, when it comes to miracles, um, because of the day and age in which we live. And so um, I want to simply just slow down and help you see um, and ask you to notice 
how the crowds respond to Jesus's miracles. Um, it's really interesting that the crowds, um, they don't, um, I would say it this way, the crowds don't act like what Jesus is doing is some abnormal kind of strange thing that's disrupting the normal flow of the universe. It sure seems like the crowd seems that what Jesus is doing is actually a restoration of the natural operation of the universe. Um, if, you, if you look at the text, it's uh, Jesus comes and he starts doing these things. And so they bring the people that are sick. They bring the people that have demons. And, and here's the thing, like fever, um, that's not a part of how the world was made to be. Um, illness, disease, COVID, that's not a part of how the world is made to be. Demon possession, intelligent evil is not how the world is made to be. That is the interruption in the world as it's made to be. And Jesus steps onto the scene and he doesn't disrupt the natural operation of the world. He restores it. He goes to fever and said, I didn't make that. Get out of there. He, he goes to this man who's being tormented by a demon and said, I didn't make demonic spirits. I made good spirits that no out, get out. I have a place for you. It is not here. You get out. So Jesus walks around and what his miracles are doing is, um, I, I would say it this way. They are a restoration of the world as it was made to be, not an interruption of it. And in that sense, I think it's far more accurate to see Jesus's miracles as confirming his message that the kingdom of God has come to redeem and restore this broken world. It's far more accurate to see Jesus's miracles as proof of his message than it is to see his miracles as proof of his divinity. Because let me say this, if that challenges how you think about his miracles, Jesus's disciples will go on to do just about every single miracle Jesus does later in the New Testament. And if you're thinking like, oh, healing's one thing. Okay, there's a story in Acts chapter 20 where the apostle Paul preaches a long sermon. And um, what ends up happening is he goes so long that a guy falls asleep, falls out the window and dies. And uh, Paul walks down there and he says, no, not today. And he lifts the guy back up and raises him back to life. Okay, so if even Jesus's great miracle, like defeating death is done by his disciples, I think, I think scripture takes away from us this idea that his miracles are primarily about proving his deity. Because the Bible is clear that Jesus is God and Paul is not. So um, I think a much better way to understand Jesus's miracles are they are proof of his message. They are proof that the kingdom of God is coming in to restore this broken world. So that when Jesus says the kingdom is among you and a demon cries out and then the demon is cast out, he's like, see, I told you so. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is present, heaven is invading earth, and you have a woman that is plagued by a fever in some condition that feels a lot like hell on earth, and Jesus walks and grabs her by the hand and the fever flees, it's proof of his message. So I wouldn't say it's less than his deity because his message is I'm God coming into human history to fix everything. The point is, it's more than just a little magic trick saying, look what I can do. What the miracles of Jesus are doing is they are proving the message of Jesus, showing that the kingdom really is coming in power, showing that when he says, repent and believe the gospel, he has the authority to say these things, showing that when he moves towards darkness, darkness flees because in him, the kingdom of heaven is coming to earth. And so the miracles of Jesus prove the message of Jesus, showing that the kingdom has really come in the person of Jesus. And in so doing, 
these miracles of Jesus give us kind of a 3D picture of what life in Jesus's kingdom is like. So if you're, if you're the note-taking type, Jesus's miracles, they prove his message, and then they give us a glimpse into what does it look like when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth? What does it look like practically on the ground when God's kingdom comes into my house and into my family? What does it look like when God's kingdom comes into my workplace and into my neighborhood? That's the kind of thing that we're seeing in Jesus's miracles. And according to Mark, this is why Jesus's fame spread so quickly, because his kingdom is the kingdom that we were all made for. I'm Christian or not, whatever your background is, a world free of sickness, a world free of death, a world free of natural or what we call natural disasters, the Bible would call effects of sin upon the world, being brought back under control as they were made to be, a world free of all of that stuff is the world that we see in the miracles of Jesus in the gospel of Mark. And consistently, when people see the miracles of Jesus, when they get a glimpse of what life in his kingdom is like, they flock to him. And that's what's going on in the text here. Mark says people are coming from all over to be around Jesus because Mark wants us to see that the miracles of Jesus, they not only confirm the message of Jesus, they not only prove he has the authority to claim what he is claiming, but they also practically show us what Jesus's kingdom looked like. They practically show us why his kingdom is what we are ultimately longing for. And so that's how Jesus spends his day. Uh, he spends the afternoon preaching good news and healing people. He spends his evening uh, healing more people, uh, serving more people. Are you sensing a theme in the life of Jesus? Healing, healing, healing. And, and, then, and then what Mark does with this final chunk here is he gives us, I think, some insight into why. Why is Jesus um, moving around and preaching good news and healing people to show the effect of that good news? Why is he so driven to do this? Let's look at the last chunk here. Mark chapter one, starting in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up. So some of you, if you're morning people, you're biblical. You're like Jesus. All the not morning people now feel condemned. <laughs> There's room in God's kingdom for all kinds of people. Uh, Jesus gets up very early while it's still dark. He got up and he went out and he made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. And when they found him, they said, hey, everyone is looking for you. And so I, I want to just stop right there because um, I just want to point this out that as we're looking at a day in the life of Jesus, do you notice that Jesus makes time to get away, to be alone with the Father and to pray? Um, I want you to note this because if the son of God, the second member of the Trinity in the flesh needed time to get away, to be with God, to be with the father, uh, then so do you, frankly, and so do I. So like any illusion that like, oh, that's just for the varsity Christians or that's just for the newbies, but I'm strong enough in my faith. I don't need a daily devotional time. It's like Jesus needed this time. Come on. And the life of Jesus we're seeing to be truly human is to live in relationship with God. And I would submit to you, the busier your life gets, because I know it's hard, life gets busy, life crowds it out, but the busier your life gets is the crowds are calling from you everywhere. As you stayed up all night healing people, you need to prioritize this time even more because nothing is more important than being with God. This is the whole reason Jesus came. 
And, and so I just point that out. Um, I make the joke about being a morning person. Frankly, uh, I, I would say that um, if your life is getting busier and your nights are crowded out like Jesus is, maybe he wasn't a morning person. Maybe the point is you've got to carve out some time in the morning while you've still got it because you've got to spend time with God. This is what it means to be human, and this is what Jesus came to do for us. And so Jesus gets away, he's praying, and then sometime later, the disciples wake from their beauty sleep, and Simon and his companions go looking for him, and when they found them, they say in verse 37, hey, everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages too, so that I may preach there also, for this is why I have come. So um, Simon and the disciples are like, Jesus, this is great. Like, let's set up shop here. Let's build a big building and let's just bask in the adoration of the people. They love you here. You're famous here. And Jesus says, that's really great. I got to keep going. I got to preach the good news to more people. I got to keep moving on because the whole reason I came was to go help and to heal and to serve people. And that's what he does. Verse 39, Mark continues. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out the demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him on his knees and he begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him saying, I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and he sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere." So Jesus um, begins the day. Uh, Mark started kind of in the afternoon, then he goes the evening, and now we get the morning. Jesus begins his day um, praying, being with God, getting filled up for a day of ministry. And then his disciples say, okay, come on, let's go. And he says, okay, we're going to go to some other towns. And so Jesus moves on to another town. And when he gets there, we see much of the same of what we've seen already, right? We see Jesus preaching the gospel, we see demons being cast out and we see people being healed. Like, does this sound familiar so far? Um, it's much of the same. But then what's so unique about these verses is Mark slows way down. And he gives us detail on this healing of this man with leprosy. And, and, and I would submit to you, I mean, when Mark slows down like this, it should get your attention. Because normally Mark is like, hey, uh, there's this guy named Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And um, yeah, he was baptized. And um, then he uh, defeated Satan in the wilderness. And then he said, you know, um, the kingdom of God is at hand. And so come and follow me. And he just moved so fast through the life of Jesus. Here's what his message was. Here's how he called his disciples. He went to church. He preached good news. The people loved it. Demons were like freaking out. So he cast them out. Then he went home. He healed a bunch of more people. And then he spent time with God in the morning. And then he got there and he's casting out demons. He's preaching the good news. And then he slows way down and he gives us a ton of detail about a healing that takes place. And I want us to look at this healing because um, I think when Mark slows down like this, he's giving us commentary on this whole day that has preceded it. 
And so let's just look at this healing one chunk at a time, because if you want to know what Jesus is like, this is the peak part of the episode. This is the part of the episode. I guarantee you would be in the trailer for a day in the life of Jesus, the Christ, the son of the living God. Let's look at it in detail. So you get this man with leprosy comes to Jesus. And um, what leprosy was, is um, it was a skin condition. It wasn't something that would endanger your life per se, uh, but really what leprosy would do is it would make you unclean. It would make you unable to participate in the life of uh, God's people and in society and things like that. And so um, this man has a a serious condition. It's one that made him ceremonially um, pure. He wouldn't be able to come into the temple. Um, And so, so this man who has this condition, he comes to Jesus and he says something fascinating to Jesus. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. I want you to notice that if, because I think a lot of us have these ifs. What, he, what he's saying is, um, he's not asking, can you make me clean? Are you able? Uh, he's probably heard the stories about Jesus. Jesus I know that you have an authority that is unlike anything we've ever seen before. I've heard the stories about you. I know what you're able to do. I'm just not sure that you'd want to do it for me. That's what's underneath this if. He says, um, if you are willing, the word there could also be translated want. If you want, you can make me clean. It's like he's saying, um, I'm ceremonially impure. At this time in history, people would literally cry out as they went by lepers going, unclean, 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 because they, they didn't want it to rub off on them. And, and, and this man approaches Jesus and he says, I know you're able to do all things. I'm just not sure you'd want to do it for me. But if you, if you could find it in your heart to want to do it, I know you could make me clean. And, and if any of you have been there, feeling like, I know Jesus has authority. I know Jesus has power. I know Jesus is mighty to save. I'm just not sure he can save me. Because um, if only you knew my story and the kind of sin I struggle with and the darkness that I gave myself over to, even on the way here this morning, you, you wouldn't say this is for me. And if that is what you have ever felt, that Jesus is powerful, but maybe not wanting to heal you, I want you to pay attention to his response to this leper. Verse 41 says, moved with compassion. Um, Jesus's response is not unclean. Get away from me. Uh, No, Jesus is moved in the depth of his heart. So, So if you want to know what Jesus is like, pay attention to verse 41, because Mark is giving us insight into the heart and the motivations of Jesus. Jesus hears this man say, I know you're powerful, but I'm not sure if it's for me. If you wanted to, I know you could make me clean. And Jesus is moved with compassion. Uh, He sees this man suffering and his heart is moved. And so he reaches out his hand and he touches him and says, I am willing I want to just put that in modern words for you. It's, it's the want verb. You could translate that. I want to. I, I want to. And so he touches this man. And what's the word in verse 42? Immediately the leprosy left him. Just like with Peter's mother-in-law. The second it touches him, it flees from his presence. 
So, so everybody else in society would see the leper and say, unclean, if I touch you, I'm going to become unclean too. Jesus sees this leper and he moves toward him and he touches him. And rather than Jesus becoming unclean and that rubbing off on him, Jesus's cleanliness and his righteousness and his purity rub off and press into this man. And he is immediately made clean. I, I just, um, I am baffled by Jesus in this moment because nobody talks this way to lepers. No one would touch a leper. And I think this is where this whole day in the life of Jesus is driving us. Um, that the reason that Jesus preaches good news, the reason that he's healing people, the reason that he does all of this is because in the depths of his heart, Jesus wants to heal. This is the whole reason Jesus came. If Jesus didn't want to heal, he would have sat up in the comfort of heaven and watched the whole place burn. But Jesus enters into human history because he is not willing that we should perish. He comes because he wants to heal and he spends his days proclaiming good news. And for those that came, he heals them is a sign and a picture of what his kingdom is going to look like when it washes over the world. And his miracles, they're not only proof of his message, they not only show what the kingdom of God is like, but they show what the heart of the king is like. They show that Jesus is a God who is moved by compassion at our plight, that Jesus is a God who loves to heal. And this is why he has come. And this is why he spent his days as he did during his life on earth. And wouldn't that be a great place to say, okay, so we're going to sing, we're going to collect the offering, we're going to praise his name. But then Mark gives us this really, really weird ending. Verse 44, oh, verse 43. Then he sternly warned him tell, and sent him away at once, telling him, hey, make sure you don't tell anybody. Like, what is that about? And it's not just in verse 44 there. It happened in each chunk that we looked at. Did you notice it? That the demon says, hey, I know who you are. And he's like, shut up, don't tell anybody. And then uh, it, uh, Peter's house, the demons are crying out and it says, Jesus wouldn't let the demon say who he is. And at that point, you might say, well, demons aren't the best press. If demons were going around saying, hey, Jesus is the son of God, that might not be the PR team you want. But then here you have a leper who's made clean, who's restored to his community. That's what the talk of going to the temple is about, is Jesus not only physically heals him, but he wants him to be restored to his community. And so the high priest would have to look at him and go, oh, that's legit. You can come back in now. And so now you have got a grade A candidate to spread the good news about Jesus. And so what does Jesus do? He says, okay, make sure you don't tell anybody. Go home, be healed, live a new life, but don't let the good news of this get out. What? Um, what we are looking at today in these three instances are what the first occurrences of what is known as the messianic secret. Um, it's, it, this is going to happen again and again throughout Mark is Jesus is going to heal people. He's going to serve people. He's going to, uh, when the disciples confess that he is the Messiah, he's going to say, great job. Now don't tell anybody. And, and so the question, um, that I think the text leaves us with is, um, yes, we should be amazed at Jesus just like the crowd, but I think we should also be a little bit curious. Like Jesus, why didn't you let them spread your fame? Why didn't you let this get out? Like, don't you want the good news that you're the Messiah come to redeem the world to get out? 
And, and the answer is, as we get through Mark, we're going to see this. Jesus does want the good news of what he has done to get out. And once he dies and rises again, he's going to tell his disciples, hey, go and tell absolutely everyone. Like everywhere you go, don't shut up about it. This is good news. Anyone can get in on it. That day is coming, but it is not yet here. And the reason I would submit to you that Jesus has this messianic secret that he says, don't tell people yet, is because Jesus wants to define the nature of his messiahship before the people try to gang rush him and make him king by force. And we'll see it in John's gospel. I've got it in your worship guide for you. You can go read it. That after Jesus feeds, it's either the 4,000 or 5,000. He does a lot of really cool miracles, by the way. Um, The people try to rush him and make him king by force. And so Jesus knows, um, we said this week, one of this series, that his kingdom, it's coming to make this world new, but not in the way we would expect. It's not coming to take down Caesar and to defeat Rome. Jesus is coming to accomplish a much greater redemption. And so he, he, he tries to keep this thing a secret. He says, keep it down so that I can show people what I've really come to do. And then once I have, then you can tell everybody. Because the truth is Jesus has moved so much with compassion um, that he is willing to take our evil upon himself. Um, that's where the whole gospel of Mark is headed. This whole thing is headed toward the cross. He'll say in Mark 10, 45, um, that I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So the whole gospel is going to this point where Jesus moved with compassion for our broken relationships, for the darkness in us, for the uh, physical brokenness that we experience. He goes to the cross and he dies in our place for our sin so that we can receive the benefits of being in his kingdom. And some of us, I think we get this so backwards. We living on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus who can freely receive his healing power. We act as if the messianic secret were today. We act as if, okay, thanks Jesus for healing me. Now I'm not going to tell anybody about it. And I'm just going to keep it limited to when I'm with my church friends on Sunday, but I wouldn't dare talk about it at work. I wouldn't dare talk about it in my neighborhood. I wouldn't dare talk about it with my friends. And I would submit to you that I think we tend to get this backwards. And, and, and so if you're, um, if you're looking at the text and you're seeing this guy, um, on the one hand, disobey Jesus, Jesus says, don't go tell anybody. And he goes and tells everybody. Um, if you're wondering what could possibly compel this man to do that, because I live in a day and age where Jesus is saying to go tell everybody. So it's much more simple for me. If you're wondering what could get me to a place of wanting to compel that I would submit to you is it comes through experiencing the healing power of Jesus. It's not as the man simply hears what Jesus has done and stands at a distance and has a theoretical idea of his power and says, hey, if you wanted to, I'm sure you could heal me, but I wouldn't dare ask you. It's when this man experiences the healing power of Jesus and the healing heart of Jesus that says, I want to, I want to make you clean. When he comes to Jesus and experiences that, that's when he can't shut up about it. And so if you want to be like this man and to go out throughout the world um, spreading uh, the good news about this mighty healer that's come into the world and through the power of Jesus's spirit announce, you can receive healing in his name. You can receive hope. You can receive freedom in his name. Um, If 
I, I would say to you this way, we have a story to tell. And if you want to be a contagious person like this man, shouting of the fame of Jesus and joining in with this song that's been going throughout history of the worthiness of Jesus and what he has done, it all comes from experiencing his healing power for yourself. This is why, by the way, new believers are the best evangelists because they have no um, illusions about their awesomeness. They know I was sinning. He did all the saving and and they just want to tell everybody. And so um, if you're hearing this morning, um, man, I should talk about Jesus more. I should do this. I should be better. Um, I want you to hear the good news of Jesus that uh, regardless of the ways that you do or do not talk about Jesus, he loves you and he wants to heal you. This is why he has come to redeem you from your sin. And this is why he has come to restore everything about your life, um, physically, ultimately someday, and even relationally. And so the question I want to leave you with today is, if that's true, what do you need to bring to Jesus today? What, what is your if you are willing statement? Um, some of you, uh, you might not be a Christian and you need to say, Jesus, if you're willing to forgive me, uh, I want that today. You can have a brand new life today. I'd love to talk to you after service, pray with you. It'd be awesome. Um, if you are a Christian, I would submit to you that uh, it's the same question, that we need to keep coming to Jesus for healing, that um, until this body goes in the ground and we experience the fullness of God's kingdom washing over every square inch of our body and of our world, there is still healing needed to be had. And so for you, the question would be this morning is, what is your if you are willing that you want to bring to Jesus this morning? What is it? Um, it could be demonic oppression. You might not have that category, but you could say, I, mean, I have this darkness. I have this thing that's just pressing me down. It could be something physical. I, I, I want to be really, man, this could be a whole nother sermon. I'll just simply say there's some people that believe miracles don't happen today. And I think the main issue with that is the Bible. Um, that is Jesus's spirit is in us, just like the apostle Paul and the power of Jesus's spirit could uh, pray and see Jesus do things in the life of people. Um, I think we should have every expectation that he can. And so maybe you have this thing that you need to say, Jesus, could you heal this for me today? There's other people, they don't say miracles stop, but they'll say miracles are guaranteed. And I think the problem with that is also the Bible. What the Bible tells us is God's kingdom has come. It is here. So miracles are possible, um, but it's not fully complete yet. And so we have no guarantees on what it will look like. Uh, but here's the guarantee we have. Our God loves to heal. This is why he has come. He has purchased everything necessary to accomplish our full and complete healing. And the invitation this morning is to come to him with our ifs and say, could you heal this relationship? Could you heal this physical brokenness? Could you heal this thing over here this morning, knowing his heart is kind, knowing he is for us, and whether he chooses to heal us today or on the last day, that healing is coming. And for that, his name is great and mightily to be praised. And when we experience that good news, we'll be a people too that can't shut up about it. And his fame will spread in this community just as it did in Galilee. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, you are great. You are mighty. You are to be praised. And so um, may I just ask this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open our eyes to see you as you really are. Um, that we would see... Uh, 
the kindness of your heart, the compassion you feel toward us in our struggle, and that we wouldn't think, oh, I sinned too much this week, I can't ask for too much, but that we would see uh, the full extent of your grace this morning and come to you messy and needy and saying, can you heal me? Would you give us the faith to come like this leper and say, um, if you're willing, I'm not sure, I have doubts, but I wanna come to you. Would you give us the faith to come to you this morning? And would you meet us um, with a, a power that just says to some people here that have doubted if you're real, would you remove those doubts this morning and show that the good news of your resurrection is true? So would you give us the faith to come to you this morning? Would you answer our prayers in a way that would lift high your name in this place and in this community? We love you. We ask all these things in your beautiful name. Amen.